Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Amen. About 11 years ago, uh, we were worshiping in a movie theater in Ronkonkoma. And uh, one thing I'm aware of is that there aren't a lot of people who will travel more than 20 or 25 minutes to get to church. Now, I know some of you come far longer than that, and uh, I appreciate that. But but in general, if you want to impact other communities, folks aren't going to travel that far. So we we felt what we should do is start another church, another campus. And since we knew how to do church in movie theaters, we decided we'd look for another movie theater. But we weren't sure whether to go east or west. So first up, we went west to Comac, uh, not Comac, Deer Park, uh, to the, out, the outlets there. They were pretty new there, and there was a brand new movie theater. And we went over there, and we had a look around this brand new movie theater Um, at the outlets, and it was absolutely fantastic, state-of-the-art. I could see how everything would work, where we could put everything, and it was terrific. And we'd also made a connection with a theater, movie theater in Mastic, and uh, after we'd been to Deer Park, I said to our staff team, do we really need to look at Mastic now? And they said, yeah, we do. So we went over to Mastic, and we looked at the Mastic movie theater, which, you know, it was very different, it was old, it was dingy, it was a little on the dirty side, and uh, it was going to be a, a, a squeeze to make everything happen in Mastic, but we had a look around it. And then when we sat down to talk together, I said to our staff team, I said, well, it's pretty clear where we need to be going, right? And somebody said, yeah, Mastic. <laughs> and I said, really? And somebody else said, yeah, Absolutely. Obviously, the greatest area we can impact, the greatest impact we can have is going to be in Mastic rather than in Deer Park. And so I kept my mouth shut because <laughs> I, I fancied a bright new theater in Deer Park. But anyway, we went to Mastic and uh, we established a campus there and we met some of you there in Mastic through our, through our Mastic campus. And uh, I think we got a picture there. It's a pretty dark one. Um, here we were in Mastic in, in the movie theater. September of 2009, we started having our services there in Mastic. And that fall, in October of that year, we started a teaching series called One Month to Live. It was based on a book by a pastor called Kerry Shooker from Texas. And uh, we started the One Month to Live series. There was a book you could read a bit out of every day. Then we had... We had midweek material for people to use in small groups together on the same theme. And then Sundays, we took a different theme uh, that was in line with the overall picture. And the idea really was, what would I focus on if I just had one month to live? And that was the idea. By the way, just to fill you in, some of you on, a, on a, how our history went, we, uh, the Mastic Theater became unsafe and unusable because of stuff we found there. And ultimately, we had to stop our services in Mastic. But at that point, we just got um, involved with this building. 
And the idea was then finally, we are actually geographically virtually exactly the same distance between that Mastic movie theater and the Ronkonka movie theater. It's about seven and a half miles from each. And so the idea was to come together. And I'm glad, you know, nowadays with over 700 folks who are part of our church, um, almost 20% of those still come from the Mastic Shirley area. So thank God for seed that we were able to sow that's still bearing fruit. Amen? Amen. So, one month to live. And then one of the parts of that, and this is where I want to go back to that one today with our, our series called The Vault, which is basically subtitled Roger's Old Sermons. So we're going to go back to that. And I wanted to take a look at a teaching, the first teaching I did, which, which I've entitled Live Till You Die. Live Till You Die. You may say, well, of course you're going to live till you die. No, you're not. There are a lot of people who are alive, but they're not living. They're around, they're functioning, but they're not really living. When, when I was uh, in May of this year, and one of the most fulfilling things I've done so far this year, I was in the UK, and I was able to go back to the city that I was raised in, and uh, I've got no family there, whatever, but I, I was there for 24 hours, and I walked up and down the street where our old brownstone house was that I grew up in. I walked up the block to the park we played in as kids. I walked to the school that I went to, to the church where I found Christ, and, and a, whole, a whole bunch of nostalgia. It was absolutely fantastic. And then I called my sister, and I said, look, I haven't been here for so long. Can you remind me where mom and dad's grave is in the cemetery? Because I think tomorrow, as I leave, I'm going to stop by the cemetery. And so she gave me directions as exactly where their grave was in the cemetery. The next morning, I got up. I got my breakfast. I, I met some old friends, had coffee with them. And I thought, I'm not going to the cemetery. Now, we're all different. And we all deal with things differently, right? I thought, I'm not going to the cemetery because... I've had a great 24 hours here, and if I go to the cemetery, I'll probably end this visit on a downer, and there's no reason to. I've relived childhood memories, the house where my mother and father raised us, and it's like, I don't want to go there. I don't think I will, and I didn't. But here's the thing. If I had gone there, there would have been a thing on the grave, and it would have said something like this, part of it. James Ernest Henry Blackmore. That was my father. That's a name, isn't it? James Ernest Henry Blackmore. They just gave me the James bit as my middle name, thankfully. James Ernest Henry Blackmore, 1917-1995. And you know what? The whole of my father's life is contained there in the dash. He was born, dash, he died. And you know what you and I are doing right now? We're living the dash. We're living the dash. Life is really that short. 
And life is really, it's as simple as that. Right now we are living the dash between two dates. There was the date when we were born. There is the date when we will leave this world. And what we are doing right now is living the dash. And what I want to encourage you in this morning is how biblically we can make sure that we really live the dash. That we live until we die. In in Psalm 90 and verse 12, it says this. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. So recognizing that our lifespan really is brief at best is is not a morbid thing, but it should be something that brings us to a point where we realize every day matters, every decision counts, and I need to make the most of the life that God has given me. And there are three things that I want to show you from the Scriptures this morning that talk to us about how we can really live until we die. And the first is this. If you want to really live, you need to live passionately. Live passionately. I hate roller coasters. I don't go near roller coasters. Last time I went near a roller coaster was 30-odd years ago, and I still talk about it. I don't go on roller coasters. One, because they scare me to death. And the second, they make me want to throw up. All right? Hopefully after I got off. But anyway, but, but that's it. So, so I, I really don't do roller coasters. I mean, they frighten the life out of me apart from anything else. It's like, God, if I ever get off this thing, I'll never do it again. On a roller coaster, I find myself repenting for sins I've never even committed. <laughs> I just want to make sure, you know, what I want. you know, I want to have a clean slate because I might meet Jesus any minute now. That's me. But, but, but you know what? The, the, uh, the U.S. Product Safety Commission have actually found out you are more likely to die playing a round of golf than on a roller coaster. All you golfers, I hope I cheered you up today. But there's nothing really to be scared of. I mean, people go on those things because they, they want the excitement. And, and in so many ways, we look for excitement in life. So whether it's that kind of thing, whether it's dining in a Zagat-rated restaurant, whether it's sitting out looking over a beautiful beach from a five-star hotel, whether it's finally getting to listen to Ringo Starr in concert live. Are some of you there? It's too late for me. But the truth is, those are all things along the way, not things that can bring lasting happiness. I mean, if we were in a position to go everywhere we ever dreamed of doing, going, doing everything we ever imagined we would like to do without a care in a world, that still doesn't guarantee us a full life. I've met people with more money than I could ever imagine but actually, they've been some of the saddest people that have ever crossed my path. Because you can be alive and not really live. God wants us to be fully alive. Hey, God gave us life in the first place. In fact, that's why Jesus came. Take a look here at John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, I came so that they can have real and eternal life more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever 
dreamed of. So listen, life is a gift to start with, right? The fact that I'm alive today is a gift from God. The fact you're alive today is a gift from God. Life in itself is a gift. But eternal life is a gift too. Full life. Jesus said, I came so you can have real and eternal life. So where are you going to find real life? Okay, this is church. I'll give you a clue. 90% of the time, the right answer is Jesus, okay? So where are you going to find real life? Jesus. Excellent, right? The secret to real and exciting life is knowing Jesus. And if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus, here's what the Bible says, you're really not living your full life. Now, you may sit there and think, well, hey, I'm I'm doing okay, really. And and that's fine, but you're not. Because Jesus said, you can only have a real, you can only have the, the best life or better life than you ever dreamed of. The only way that you can have that is through him. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 says this. This is the testimony. Here's the story. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here's the story. If you have the Son, you have life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is through the Son. Some people get really mixed up, and they think eternal life starts when we die. Eternal life doesn't start the day we die. Eternal life starts the day we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we put our faith in Him. That's when eternal life starts. And eternal life is not just a span that has no end. Eternal life is a quality of life that Jesus came to give to us. He who has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can tinker with your life in any which way you want. You can try this, try that, try the other. But there is only one thing that will fill the void that is in the heart of every single living person. And that is this. The void that is in our hearts is God-shaped. And He's the only one who can satisfy that. He who has the Son has life. Way too many people are just living a substandard life, struggling to get by, some really pressed and distressed, some wondering which way's up, in a heart of hearts thinking there's something missing. And you know what? Until you receive Christ as your Savior, There is something missing. Live passionately. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, let let me just give you a brief background before before I comment on this verse. Philippians 1, 21, the apostle Paul, who was a great New Testament advocate for the gospel and for Christ, was the means of thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus, loads of churches getting started, But later in his life, he is arrested by people who don't like what he's doing, and he is in prison. So here is Paul in prison, and I can totally understand if he was in prison saying, you know, why did this happen to me? What's gone wrong here? Where's God in all this? But he wasn't. 
He was as passionate about his relationship with Jesus when he was in a prison cell, and from there he would be executed for his faith. But he was as passionate about his love for Jesus there as he was when he was preaching to crowds of thousands of people. And from his jail cell, he writes this to the believers in Philippi. He says, listen, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul, what's life all about? Same answer as before. What's life all about? Right. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. He was passionate about Jesus. And I want to tell you this, real life comes out of having a relationship with Jesus that makes us people who are passionate about Him where Jesus is really the center of our lives and not a Sunday morning appendage. And I want to just encourage you, today is a great day to make Jesus the center of your life if you have never done that before, because whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life, to make Him the center. I, I, I also want to say this, in the, in the third chapter of the book of the Revelation, Jesus gives the Apostle John a message that he wants him to convey to the church of the Laodiceans. And he says this, here's the message I want you to send to them. And he goes through a list and he says, I know all this. I know how good you are. I know how faithful you've been. I know how you've stood up against opposition. I know, I know, I know, I know. But he says, there is just one thing that I've got that troubles me. And Jesus says, you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. You've always done the right thing by your faith, but you don't really love me like you used to. Listen, the heart of Christian faith is a relationship with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you know in your heart of hearts, you don't actually connect with Jesus like you once did. Today's a good day to say, Lord, I want you to be the center of my life. Live passionately. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. How do you live till you die? You live connected to Jesus and passionate about Jesus. And if that's something you need to address this morning, I'm going to give you a few moments uh, before I finish today to really just address that between you and the Lord. And to say today's a day of kind of fresh commitment to Jesus because I want Him to be front and center because I really want to be living the kind of life that He offered. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. He said, I've identified with, it, with, 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 with the dying Christ. So he says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God. What keeps you going? I live by faith in the Son of God. What helps you when you're in the midst of difficult times? I live by faith of the Son of God. I live by the fact that I trust the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Live passionately. The second thing I want to tell you is part of living till you die is, is you need to love completely. Love completely. 
In John chapter 13 and verse 1, this event took place the, the night that Jesus was going to be arrested and the next morning he was going to be crucified. So it says this, it says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, look at this next phrase, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. So in these final hours before his crucifixion, it didn't all suddenly, you know, become about him and about what was going to happen. But the Bible says he loved his own and he loved them until the end. And the, the pattern that Jesus gave us to follow is this, that we need to love radically, completely, continuously. He knew he had hours to go before his crucifixion. Hey, he knew that actually six weeks from that night that he would go back to heaven. But it didn't all circle in around him. And sometimes in life, it's easy to do that, particularly when we're carrying enough weight for ourselves. We can shut others out while we focus on us. But you know what the secret to living till you die is? It's not making my life about me. It's making my life about other people and loving completely. And Jesus showed his love to them that night by doing something that was, that, that was um, cultural and traditional. He actually washed the feet of the disciples. An act of incredible humility, humility for the Son of God. But it was a traditional thing that should have happened when they came in to eat together. They'd walk the dusty roads and usually there was a servant there who was there to wash your feet. But nobody did that, so Jesus did it. He washed the feet of his disciples. He loved them to the end. If you want to live till you die, love needs to be the overriding characteristic of our lives. I was, um, I still rest a lot, right? I'm, I'm generally pretty good kind of till just after lunch. And then I, uh, I generally take a rest. I don't always sleep. I just sit. So yesterday afternoon, I'd had a pretty full morning. I'm sitting, and for some reason, I was scrolling through Twitter. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. Don't worry. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Just stick to Newsday. You'll be fine. Uh, so I was scrolling through Twitter, and there was a, there was a guy. I don't, I don't know the guy. I discovered he's a pastor in, in the south of England. And he had, he, had, he had posted this. He said, Christian leaders... What are you doing personally to help people find Christ? Not your church. What are you doing? And then I, I thought, number one, is he asking for information? You know, does he want to know what, what, you know what different people do that might give him some ideas? Or is he just trying to make a point here that, like, do you do anything to help people find Christ? So I replied and said, I don't quite understand the question. I just live, which means living my faith. I respect everyone. I love everyone. I do my best to encourage everyone. And in the course of that, quite a number of the people that I've got to know have actually come to our church 
And there are dozens of them who've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have a strategy. I just live. And that's how God wants us to be. Get pastors asking me, Roger, what do you do? What's the secret of Genesis growing? What, what do you do? What's your best way of reaching out and getting, you know, getting people to come to church? I said, well, we do nothing. We do nothing. Hey, if you want a plant to grow, you feed it and you water it, right? And then it grows. And you know what happens here on a Sunday morning? We all get fed and watered. And we grow. And you know what? When you get excited about what Jesus has done in your life and when you, know, you connect with other people, and, and you know, it's inevitable. When you just live the way Jesus wants us to live, when they see you as a caring person, when they see you as a loving person, when they see you reacting differently to the way other people might react to, to different situations and to different folks, you know what? It makes a difference, and people start to take note. Love always wins. If you want to live till you die, if you want to live a full life, Love people. Now, some people got no idea what love's really all about. They think it's that kind of tingly feeling you get as teenagers when somebody actually responds to your texts and says they'll meet you tonight. But that's got nothing to do with love. That's just excitement. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, try 13. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us a heck of a lot about love. Here's what love is. It says, love is patient. So you know that means love is being patient with people. It's showing patience. Love's not about feelings. Love's about actions and behaviors. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not, does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's love. Love, love, love is seen in, a, in action. You know, folks sometimes say to me, well, you know, we're struggling. We just don't love each other anymore. And if I dig a bit deeper, what I find is they're not protecting each other anymore. They're not trusting each other anymore. They don't have hopes for each other anymore. They're not persevering anymore. These are the characteristics of love. So, so when I say what we need to do is we need to love completely. Loving means forgiving others. Loving means I'm ready to put other people first. Loving means I prioritize others' needs over my needs. Love, love means I turn away from things and behaviors that are evil, and I do the things that are true. Love is about being patient. Love is about giving preference to others. Uh, I, and uh, you, you, know, you know what? I, I've been with quite a number of people over the years at the very end of their lives. And I've never heard people in those situations lament the stuff they're going to leave behind or the things they're not going to enjoy anymore. 
I've not heard them necessarily talk much about the things that they've achieved and done. But very often I've heard mention of regrets that they've had. And those regrets most frequently are about their relationships with other people. My mother and father were married for 49 years. One Saturday afternoon, they were sitting at home, and uh, they'd had some little disagreement, like couples do, right? Oh, sorry. Sorry, you were scared to say right, because your spouse is beside you. Yeah, sorry, I get you. But they, yeah, it was just one of those things that happened anyway. So, my, my, my mother's health had, hadn't been good for years. It wasn't drastically bad, but her health wasn't good. She had heart issues. She had a bunch of other issues. My father took early retirement, so he said, you know, I, I just want to spend the time with her and be a help to her. So he had done that for years. So this Saturday afternoon, they kind of had some, just something or other. It all went quiet in the house, right? You, we all, you know how that works, right? So everything was quiet. So he decided it was that time. It was 4 o'clock. Now, at 4 o'clock in England, there was only one thing civilized people do. They have tea. Okay? There are certain things that are just right in life. So 4 o'clock, he makes my mother a cup of tea, and he takes her in her cup of tea, and uh, she gets her cup of tea. She takes a sip. She puts it down, and she collapses. She had a stroke. And uh, we, lived, we lived quite a long way away. Uh, she went in the hospital on Saturday. When I got down there, she was still uh, out of it. And uh, she never regained consciousness. And the Thursday, following Thursday evening, she went to be with the Lord. And uh, she passed away. And I was with Dad for about a week after that, or a week or more. I stayed with him. And... Uh, over and over again. You know what he'd say? He'd say, I wish I had that afternoon over again. I wish I had that afternoon over again. And I said, Dad, we all go through those little things. Every couple goes through them. Why don't you look back, Dad, and think about the last 10 years where you've been with mom and you've taken her places and you've cooked the meals and you've looked after the house and you've done so much. I said, think back over the 49 years that you've had together about all the positives. But in those, in those sensitive few days, all he could think about was what had gone wrong between them just before she died. Listen, those things are going to happen with couples. They're going to happen with other relationships as well. They do happen. But I want to tell you this. We need to live with the general principle where we love unconditionally. If there's one thing that people identify you with, let them identify you with the fact that you love people. And show that love. There's no shame in loving people. There's no shame in saying, I'm sorry. There's no shame in letting things go. None whatever. Love completely. You remember in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus was asked, which is the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment. The second, he said, is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. A lot of the things we do in life will not matter in the end of the day, but love does. And we need to be motivated by love. We need to be motivated by love in our relationships here as church family. You need to be motivated by love with your biological family. You need to be motivated with love by the family that you work with. With the people you relax with. The Bible says love never fails. Live passionately. Love completely. And then this will prepare you for the third thing, which is leave boldly. When the moment comes to be ready to go, because you can say, you know what? I believe I've finished what God wanted me to do. I, I, was, a, I was kind of a, a messed up kid in some ways, only a few. I, was, I tended to be morbid. I mean, I can remember like eight years, nine years old, I don't know. I've been laying in bed, and I'm thinking, I'll be dead one day. <laughs> right? And I'll be under the ground, and life will be going on above me, and nobody will even know.